0: Mullinger Meets Canadians is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. In this episode, I'm speaking to a man who has done so much to bring people to the Maritimes that I just had to meet him. Steve Lilly is the president of ProtoCase Incorporated, an innovative manufacturer of custom electronic enclosures that has been serving the global science and engineering community for more than 20 years. As CEO, Mr. Lilly has led the organization to remarkable growth. The company now employs over 275 people and serves over 17,000 clients throughout North America and Europe while staying proudly based in Sydney, Nova Scotia on Cape Breton Island. Steve has 35 years experience in engineering, operations management and software development. He's also shown himself to be a true proponent of East Coast community spirit through his involvement as chair of the board of New Dawn Enterprises, which is the oldest community development organization in Canada and past chair of the Electronic Engineering Program Committee for the Nova Scotia Community College. Steve earned his Bachelor of Engineering from the Technical University of Nova Scotia in 1986 and he's been a resident of Sydney, Nova Scotia for more than 30 years where he and his wife have raised five beautiful children. We have so much in common and I can't wait to hear how it is that he started this company with just five people and built it to almost 300 employees and attracted the very best people from around the world, including many of my countrymen from the UK. So without further ado... Let's meet Steve at his Sydney, Nova Scotia HQ. Hi, Steve. It is great to meet you, my friend. Oh, you as well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, not at all. I mean, it's a huge honor to kind of finally connect with you and and admire what you do for a long time. And I I think what I'd really love to kind of start with is how did you get the initial idea for Protocase?
1: Yeah, so I think probably any great Canadian success story at all starts with uh, (laughs) the beer and hockey isn't that the way it goes
0: <laughs> that's exactly uh, right that is a beautiful thing <laughs> yeah so
1: what happens we're, we're talking 20 years ago now i guess so a, a friend of mine uh, doug milburn i met him about 25 years ago and playing hockey together at the local university here on friday afternoons snuck out of work a little bit early for some exercise one friday afternoon having a chat uh, a lot of guys talking about hockey and things like that we're talking about business. So I think we're kind of uh, finding some common ground there. And we happened to be talking to another friend of ours, fellow was an electrical engineer. And uh, he was working on a, this is back in the days when internet-based video security systems were just coming into their own. So he was developing a product Mm -hmm. and he was uh, developed an electronics package that he was trying to put together and put into an enclosure. He needed about uh, five of these things made. And he was saying, you know, I couldn't get exactly what I needed. He said, so I ended up, I went and bought five of these things off the shelf. And he said, I went in my, my basement and I, I I cut some holes in it. And, I was, you know, cutting a, a square hole is a difficult thing to do. And he said, I was getting it all scratched up. And he said, I had to get some paint on it. It was just an absolute nightmare of a project. And he said, then I had to figure out with the, the on-off switch, you know, what side's on and what side's off. So I had to put some kind of <laughs> labeling on the thing. And he said, it's just an absolute, absolute difficult process. So Doug and I started to, to think about that and say, you know we kind of had similar experiences in our past lives and past careers. So we, uh, we thought about that and said, well, yeah, I wonder, is there a business in this? Something that we can do, focus on the low volume side of things that the, you know, the prototypes where we have engineers and researchers developing new products and struggling just as we did to get these, uh, get these enclosures done. Right. We said, uh, Wonder if that's a business opportunity. And anyway, we thought about it and thought about it a little bit more. We kind of tested uh, tested the market a little bit. We talked to some folks we knew from from past relationships. And we actually believed after the conversations that it probably was it was an opportunity that we should pursue. So I was doing some other stuff at the time. Doug has a, still has another business that he was involved with, but we uh, decided to put some energy into this and see if we could raise a bit of money and try to put this together. So that's a, that's a long story short. In that <laughs> we, that happened all in the first weeks of our conversation, and here we are, twenty years later, seventeen thousand customers throughout North America, and just having a ball with this thing.
0: Wow. Could you have imagined back then when you were sat there, you know, post hockey game, drinking some beers that you would end up 20 years later with, you know, I know you've got like more than 250 employees and as you say, like tens of thousands of customers and clients all over the world. I mean, could any of that have been in your mind back then?
1: Well, I think if you look at our original business plan we put together, you'd have to say yes, because our business plan certainly (laughs) suggested that we were going to be there in five years. Uh, I have a friend, a LinkedIn friend, a gentleman who used to work for us, a sales manager, and he congratulated me about three years ago. He said, uh, congratulations on your 17-year overnight success. Right. Yeah. But uh, you know, to actually answer your question, my mom, who's pushing 89 now, uh, she tends to ask some questions repeatedly. She asked me that question every time I talk to her, which is, you know, did you ever envision, did you ever believe that you'd be where you are today back then? And my answer is, it's always the same. I said, well, if we didn't believe then, we never would have tried it. So, yeah, we actually did believe that it was possible.
0: Yeah. Amazing. So having that belief at the very beginning, would you say that's crucial to the success of a company is actually having the vision and the foresight to say, we're doing this because we think it actually can be big? If you don't have the belief, if you don't have the stamina, if you don't have the willingness to
1: accept and take risks. Hmm. it's not worth doing because you're probably not going to succeed. So absolutely, without, without question.
0: And of course, what's, what's fascinating about what's happened in the last 15 months and this kind of new realization for people that living in a place like the Maritimes offers this incredible quality of life and that people can work remotely or indeed start businesses like yours, which uh, I'm guessing it's fair to say in theory, you could be based anywhere. You could do what you do from anywhere and be global.
1: We could indeed, and then lots of folks say to us, wouldn't it be better if you were closer to a, you know, a larger urban center and, and what have you, or possibly on the other side of the border? Uh-huh. You know, 90% of our clients are in the US, so just proximity through shipping means and what have you. Uh-huh. But we've got a pretty decent system with the FedExes of the world and the ability to move goods, especially in our case with fairly small packages uh, at a time. Get those across the border, get them in the hands of our customers, you know, overnight. Anything that comes off of our line by 1030 in the morning is in the hands of our customers, even in the state of California next day, three o'clock in the afternoon. So there's no limitations for us in terms of being here. I'm not originally from here. I'm from Dartmouth, actually. My wife, who has family ties and family roots here in Cape Breton, we decided it was a lifestyle move for us to come down here. I was working for a tech company in Bedford back in the day, and we made that decision it was entirely based on lifestyle we have five children so we wanted our kids to grow up in a nice place not to say that bedford's not a nice place it's a beautiful yes. place as well <laughs> but being close to family and lifestyle was was a big factor for us and it continues to be a big factor for us we, we really do appreciate the lifestyle that you have here you know the hiking yeah. uh the wilderness uh, the relaxed atmosphere it's just phenomenal right
0: oh totally i mean cape breton island is unquestionably one of the most beautiful places in the world and as you say I mean and I did a similar thing left Left the kind of hustle and bustle of London, England to come to a small town in New Brunswick for the exact same reason, to give my children the kind of idyllic upbringing in a beautiful place. And of course, most importantly, surrounded with incredible, kind, loving, warm people with a sense of community. And I just find that Cape Breton Island is one of those magical places. Again, I think the actor Alan Arkin recently said that it's the most magical place on earth. And he's obviously been everywhere. And that place has that unique thing going on but what an amazing thing for you to be able to offer all those employees where they get to work for a hugely respected global company but have all of the benefits of living in a smaller place
1: yeah thank you for that absolutely agree and uh, you know i do believe alan arton actually spends a fair amount of his days uh, on the west side of the island here yeah
0: Mm -hmm. In terms of your employees, I mean, how do you recruit? And obviously, I mean, I'm guessing you started off with a lot less employees than you have now. How did that grow? And then how have you kind of done recruitment? Is it all local or do you look for employees globally?
1: So interesting. So we started the business. We managed to raise enough money to hire five people, uh, me being one of them. Although I didn't get paid all the time in the, in the early days, but uh, <laughs> as any entrepreneur would would relate to. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, we started off five employees from ground zero. We, we started with absolutely nothing. And uh, as we grew and, you know, lot, lots of struggles and challenges there to get us to where we needed to be. A uh, lot of local hiring at first. Uh, and we tend still to hire predominantly from the, the local pool. That said, we're fairly uh, broad-based company in terms of our requirements for staffing. Uh, We have a number of engineers on staff. We have quite a few uh, computer programmers, marketing specialists, sales folks. So we certainly reach uh, and we bring people in from all over. Um, Our latest challenge, especially in the COVID situation, was to bring in a logistics manager who actually came from the UK.
0: And
1: uh, took, retiring from military was, and uh, had family over here and was looking to come over. And we really liked what we saw. Was a challenge. It it took, believe it or not, it took us almost a year to get him through the process to get him here but we were successful and we were very fortunate to have him he uh, he's been a great addition but yeah no from everywhere again predominantly uh local hires uh but no we've we've got folks from well over the world the other thing that's interesting too is um our, our population in the island here had been declining for a number of years probably 20-year history of decline And if you look at the stats, you'll see that that's stabilized over the last two years, predominantly due to the influx of foreign students to our university. Uh, I think the school population, university population is 50 percent international students now. So they've become a very interesting pool for us as well. Um, A lot of these folks come with previous degrees and talents before they even come to our community. So it's it's an interesting pool for us. And uh, we've taken great advantage of that as well.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask about that because I see you have a student sponsorship program. So clearly you're doing incredible things to, you know, it's one thing for people to come and study in a place. But of course, they want and need employment afterwards. So you're able to kind of offer that kind of transition. Can you tell me a bit about how the sponsorship program came about?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the immigration programs, it's a provincially sponsored program, which we just just absolutely fit into. And there's a lot of nuances with it, but then more of the details that I can share with you. But sure. one of the things I think that's really important for us is we love to bring students in. Uh, we bring in interns, we bring in co-op students, especially in our areas of engineering and computer science. And the beauty behind those programs is somewhat obvious, I guess. But we get a chance to look at the students, and the students get a chance to look at us, and if they fall in love with us, and vice versa, then uh, all those throwing pains are behind us at that point in time.
0: So really, really appreciate those programs and take advantage of them as much as we can amazing and I love hearing stories like that about and this is I think why so many people told me about you and what you do because I'm, I'm obviously fascinated by people coming to this region and especially like you mentioned the person that came from the UK I'm assuming they didn't have ties to the Maritimes before tell me a bit about what their impression is of the place and kind of how they fall in love with Cape Breton Island this particular
1: individual, young gentleman, just uh, really appreciates lifestyle here. Mm-hmm. Into um, So he's a athletic background, gymnastics, so likes to be able to be out, exercise, you know, the whole world of canoeing, mm-hmm. paddling, kayaking, skiing, golfing, you name it. We've got some of the best golf courses in the world here. And all of that spoke to him without question. So it really just worked. We've had another gentleman joined us uh, within the last probably year in a senior management position from the UK as well. I say we have a lot of people from the UK, but I think I just covered all of them. But, but, uh, you know... It's still a lot.
0: I mean, it's a high proportion,
1: let's face it. It it is indeed, it is indeed. Uh, It was family lifestyle. So it was family as two young children uh, and the ability to bring his family here and take advantage of all that we have to offer from that perspective was important to them. So it's varied. It's, it's, It's over the map, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And of course, I mean, you've been attracting people from all over for many years. But I imagine the last 15 months has, of course, made people globally realise that quality of life is a hugely important thing and that there is so much more in in the world than living in a big city. I mean, was your business in any way adversely affected by COVID? Or did you see the opposite happen?
1: I'm going to say overall over the course of probably the last year and a half. I mean, generally, it, was, it worked to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So first, firstly, we were deemed uh, an essential business right off the get-go. Yeah. So we cater a lot to engineers and researchers throughout North America, as I mentioned, many of whom work in medical research. We cater to all of the names of medical research in North America. And we were receiving letters from these clients saying your work to uh, supply us with, you know, custom prototype work is absolutely critical to our ability to continue on in medical research and what we're doing and kind of turn that around the COVID side of things. So we basically need to keep our doors open. And uh, we also saw that although early on, there was some decline in business keeping their doors open in the U S that didn't stick for very long before that started to turn around and ramp back up. So we just, continue to fit those requirements in terms of those customers and businesses that were staying open. So uh, we had no ability to to cut back. That said, you know, we had some staff that were concerned early on. So what we did is we said to every staff member, if you elect and you're uncomfortable coming to work and you want to self-select yourself out, there are programs that will cover your salary to a certain degree. If you are not comfortable here, by all means you go home and we did where we could create opportunities for people could work from home but it doesn't in a manufacturing environment that's very difficult to do across the board so we did have we had probably between 10 and 15% of staff initially uh, elected to uh, to stay home but what we found very quickly over one or two months that the majority of those folks could only do it for so long. And they said, I, I got to get back to work. I got to go here. Right. And yeah. with this last round that we've had, we just, we've had next to no uptake on folks deciding to stay home. It's been full bore and, uh, and, our growth in the business, certainly in the last six months has been just absolutely phenomenal. We are breaking records on a monthly basis the last number of months. So I don't know what to say. It's uh, it has worked for us early on as well. We engaged in a couple of programs to support some developments along in the world of COVID. Uh, so we got involved with a project with some companies out of Halifax, another one here in Cape Breton, to develop a, what's called a low-cost uh, ventilator because there was concerns about ventilators uh, you know, not being enough around. I experienced right. that in the States. So we did actually develop a functional prototype. Didn't go for certification. As time went on, it looked that the market probably wasn't going to be there for it. But, you know, it was the right thing to do. There was concerns early on, and we felt as being proper corporate citizens that we should do our part. So we did take that on. We, we took that project on
0: as well. Wow incredible I mean that's amazing to be able to um, keep the business running like that but then also be doing good at the same time I mean I'm sure that's something that stems from living in a place where that kind of community mindedness and, and albeit in this case I mean that's the global community you're thinking of but do you find that living in a place like Cape Breton Island or indeed any kind of small town in the Maritimes that that sense of community permeates through everyone and everything?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I, you know, and, and I think that, it, as you said, it exists in most small communities. I mean, hmm. I consider us so. I, we, we, we run out of Sydney, which is I yeah. uh, call a small urban center. Uh, yeah. You know, we're not the size of Halifax. Certainly not the size of Toronto, but we are an, an urban center. I mean, the municipality yeah. has a population of about a hundred thousand people. Uh, right. But there's, th- there's still we're, we are that size where there's that sense of community. There's no question about it, and there's that sense of pride. I find what's really interesting. you know, in our early days. Uh, we're always fear, fear of failure and, and what have you. So you, you don't really promote yourself or speak too much about yourself. And uh, I'm actually surprised you found us, to, to be honest with you. But, uh, but as time went on and as the years went on, we've become recognized as an employer of choice. We won an award a couple of years ago as one of the best employers in the community. Um, and I think that stuff just permeates after a while. And it does speak to that sense of community. And people are proud to say, We're one of the chosen places. If you get a job at ProtoCase now, you're one of the lucky ones. I've heard people say things like that. Uh, And I think that all speaks to just that pride in our community, but our business and, uh, and what we do.
0: And it's funny you say that. I mean, I think that's precisely why so many people told me about you is the fact that I've made it my kind of life's mission since moving here to want to shout about these incredible Atlantic Canadian success stories, because there is this wonderful humility and modesty that is such an East Coast trait, which is that people don't want to shout about what they do, they don't want to brag. People like to put their heads down, work hard, do good things, and they don't want to talk about it, which is the most kind of honourable thing. Yeah. But I've taken it upon myself to kind of go, look everyone, look at what they're doing here. And I think that's why so many people uh, mentioned you to me for all of those reasons. It's, it's interesting, I, I do
1: appreciate that. There's not, no question, we um, mm. were sitting here before the the interview started and I was asking, so you've been dealing with one of our marketing folks and I just asked yeah. him, I, said, I said, why? Why me? Why why me? I I don't get this. (laughs) uh, Yeah, and
0: this this is exactly the reason. I think. I mean, it it is a wonderful thing. I think that's why people think of maritime as as being so friendly because there isn't this. I mean, the best way I described it to someone was that when i lived in london if you approach someone for an interview their response would generally be you know about time what's taken so long and you ask someone in the maritimes and they say why me and that to me sums up everything i love about living amongst maritimers
1: (laughs) and you know when people show up to our place and they're, they're coming for an interview or whatever it may be i mean the first thing we put in front of these folks is our statement of ethical guidelines and we live and die by our ethical guidelines i mean a lot of people say oh yeah you have this thing on the wall but when we say we put our customers' interests first, we mean it 100%. We follow up with every customer on every order that we send. And the interesting thing that that's done for us, and we didn't even realize it was going to happen for us, was customers come back and say, love you, but here's what you could do, or I'd love to be able to get this service from you. And it's allowed us to not look at it from a capacity standpoint, but from a capability standpoint, what more should we be doing for our customers? What new equipment should we be bringing in? What new opportunities exist that right. we may be interested in in taking on as well? And it's worked hugely to our benefit but we stick to our core in terms of our values and we make sure that if you're coming into our family and you're going to be part of our family you better live and die by those values too otherwise
0: it's not going to work this show is brought to you by the cape breton partnership the cape breton partnership unites people who believe in the power of working together to increase economic opportunities in cape breton The Cape Breton Partnership aims to transform Cape Breton Unamagi into the most creative and prosperous place on earth. Visit capebretonpartnership.com to discover why this island is a great place to live, work, study and invest. We are growing a culture that values and celebrates creativity, innovation and entrepreneurship. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's that it's that attention to detail and that loyalty to your client base that I feel that that mindset only really comes from growing up and indeed living in a place where we're in communities where everyone knows everyone and I feel like it's that kind of very kind of organic way of building and very real and honest way of building a business where I feel like in bigger places, people can get away with coasting. They feel like they don't need to have that attention to detail. I mean, the best example I kind of use is that if whatever it is you do in a place like England, whether it be you're a comedian or a plumber, you can get away with not being great at that thing for a long time because word's not going to spread. No one really talks to each other. And if they do, there's too many people for it to... Whereas when you've grown up or indeed live in a small community where everyone knows everything, you have this mindset of wanting to impress all the time and needing to and not being able to to coast and i feel like when that mindset of living in a small community is used in a business sense it creates this kind of global attention to detail that that really no one else can offer something like that
1: and sure it's never going to hurt you to strive to be the best you can be right it's never going to hurt you
0: and as you as you rightly point out i mean we talk about Small towns and cities, but of course, and when we talk about that, and people listening who live in bigger cities, whether it be Toronto or London or New York, they don't realise that when we say small city, uh, and as you rightly pointed out, I mean, I mean, uh, Sydney is an urban city centre, as many cities are in the Maritimes, we're not lost for things to do. You know, this is the thing we live in places where we, I mean, uh, the best example I was used to people when they when they hear that I left London and moved to St John, they say, well, you must miss all the things to do in London and I'm like well here's the thing in London there was so much to do that I would probably make it to you know 0.001% of the things I wanted to do I mean granted there may be less options here but i still only make it to 10 percent of the things i want to do so how much choice do you really need if you're going to miss most of the things anyway and i think that's one of the things that i understand from people when they're looking to move to this region they're always incredibly pleasantly surprised by the amount of arts and culture and indeed everything that we have on offer i mean certainly the music scene in sydney i know is incredible
1: Absolutely. And I'll bet you wouldn't even know or well, maybe you would know. But uh, you know, we, we have three live theatres in our in our municipality
0: That's right. And it's funny. I mean, I did a show a couple of years ago, actually, at the, the Member Two um, Training Convention Centre, incredible, like 1000 seater venue. And again, you've got others as well. What are the other ones?
1: So we have the Highland Arts Theatre. That's
0: right. Uh, We
1: have the Savoy out in Glace Bay. And then at the university, we have a theatre that helps develop through drama programs and what have you. But they do a variety of live presentations as well. So really, extremely well covered. I mean, we Mm -hmm. have as as well, we have our big fall Celtic Colours event, which just covers the entire island. You know, music festivals every night various venues and uh and i, and I look at it too and you do the comparison between here and i guess my, my 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 friend and business partner is doug milburn as i mentioned uh he used to he said it very well at one, one point in time he said compared to toronto and i know i have a brother-in-law who's a toronto engineer and you know the travel he, he's on the road three three and a half hours a day right mm-hmm. doug said to me said, said to somebody so one day i was in the presidency. he said yeah he said uh, so I have, a, uh, he said, I have a three-minute drive drive to work and a three-minute drive home. He said, well, that's, of course, unless it's rush hour. If it's rush hour, it's five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So so that gives us the time, the Mm -hmm. the time to take advantage of those things that we do have. And we do have plenty of it. I mean, there's plenty of things to do, and especially down here, like you said, from an arts and culture perspective. It's uh, just incredible.
0: I mean, I think it's, that was a big dawning realisation for us when we were leaving London was that we had our second child and we were paying all, all this money to live still on the outskirts of the city. So we still had, you know, an hour commute to get in every morning. I mean, it was actually 10 minutes away, but of course it took an hour. And then, uh, you know, you're living in a shoebox. And, and of course, you know, you, you're not doing, we didn't get to do anything because we, as you say, every spare minute was taken up with travel. And I would say that the amount of arts and culture I get to enjoy since moving to the mountains is is exponentially bigger and more importantly much happier as well yeah for for sure for sure and what are your favorite things to do i suspect you're someone who finds it hard to switch off from work i mean because it is your passion and it's your business but what do you do to relax
1: well so the second part of that i mean first of all i'm i'm 58 now um so i started this thing when i was in my 30s and had a lot more energy and, and drive back then than I probably do <laughs> now, you know, uh, so back then, 10, 12, 14 hour days were the norm. Yeah. Um, back then when we had five employees, I wasn't doing just what I'm doing now. I'd be on the floor. I'd be running equipment. I was the first salesperson for the company. Um, I was the first silk screener the company had just doing all kinds of stuff, uh, to try and see if we can make this thing happen. So my life's very different now than it was back then. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, I think if you ask what the next stage is for me, it's to trying to figure out what does a retirement look like? Does it look like less days in the office, but still some? Mm-hmm. Does it look like a complete exit? I'm not sure. We haven't really figured that one out yet. But as I said, I'm 58 years old uh, and it's time. Now that we're getting through COVID, well, my wife and I, we, we do like to travel. We do have the ability to do that now and hopefully will for the next, you know, foreseeable future. So we, we do tend to to look to that um and you know we do we we some of the things we spoke to we, we love to hike uh, we, we got ourselves some snowshoes last year to, to give the uh, the winter hiking a try uh we do like live theater we take take in live theater when we can so yeah i keep busy but i mean work still consumes a, a fair amount of my time maybe not the 16 14 16 hour days it did you know 15 years ago but uh but still busy with that
0: so what's the day-to-day like for the business for you then
1: again, changed substantially from, from where I was mm-hmm. before. So my day looks typically like I still stay heavily involved in the finance side of the business. That's uh, the, the primary area where I look. So I oversee. We have an accounting team that does all the, the day-to-day stuff, but uh, I do all the review of financials, I make sure we're uh, all of our teams are staying on track with their budgets set that we put forth at the beginning of the year, and we, we revisit those every quarter, uh, just making sure all that stuff is in place. And the other thing that I do is I tend – uh, weekly meetings with all of our teams. So right. we have, uh, you know, a research and development team. We have marketing teams. We have kind of two divisions of the business too. We have the protocase piece and then we have the 45 drive side, which is a spin-off that we created about eight years ago. So we look at, you know, again, R&D, marketing, sales, uh, and then a, a number of operational meetings that we do. So I just kind of keep my finger on the pulse of all the teams that Stu are doing. Open door policy; my door is always open for any conversations that anybody in the company wants to have. And then you know, Doug and I tend to be the the visionary conversations. So we speak a lot about direction, capabilities, capacity, growth, what have you. We seem to be, I guess, 2007. We constructed our what I would call our first own building before we were renting before that. And uh, after that grueling uh, adventure, I said, we'd never do that again. And here we are now just about to uh, consider building our fifth building. So uh, I generally take good responsibility for those projects. They're big and they're intense and they're long. They're they're usually year long projects. So, but vision direction and some operational stuff. Yeah. And and building that middle management team has been the critical piece of what we do. And, uh, you know, that's, what's going to grant us the ability to, continue to grow this business at the rate it's growing and do it with less of our involvement I guess is probably a fair way of putting it
0: right so there is constant growth then you are constantly kind of looking it's not just a case of we've reached a point and we want to keep it like this yeah
1: typically we project in budget time 30 percent growth per year and we
0: are exceeding that this year Wow, that's that's huge, thirty percent a year because normally isn't the norm like five percent a year for most companies. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you can do thirty percent growth
1: when you're two and three years old, but not a twenty year old company that's well grounded. Yeah, it's just amazing and I you know hats off to the various folks we have here and the teams they're just they're just into this thing right now and they're just it's just amazing to watch the energy that we have in this in these two two pieces of the business right now. it's just it's it's inspiring, it's absolutely inspiring.
0: That's incredible. I know this is this is kind of a, an impossible question and also an annoying question. But for people listening, entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, I mean, what is the secret to that kind of incredible, constant growth after two decades?
1: Uh, this is going to sound so corny, right? I mean, no. It goes back to what I spoke to earlier in the, in the in the show. But, you know, perseverance, mm. believe in yourself, better be willing to take risks and you better be willing to dedicate a lot of your life and time to to this thing early on and if you've got it in you to do that and you've got an idea that the market you know ultimately says is there that's what it takes
0: that's wow. what it takes yeah. and what about 45 drives like what was the thought process behind that and how does it differ
1: Long story, I'll Mm. I'll try to keep it reasonably (laughs) short, Uh, but it really speaks to us listening to our customers and engaging our customers. So on the protocase case side, we had a customer who was in the business of providing cloud-based data storage, and they were not happy uh, spending the money for the servers that they had to buy from the big guys. So they wanted to design their own storage server. So they took it upon themselves to do it. And as with any of our customers, they needed to take those electronics and package them into an enclosure. So they found Protocase and they got us to, through a number of iterations, through design process and iterations, we developed the enclosure for them to house their electronics and produce this storage server that they could ultimately use to replace the ones that they were buying from from the big guys. So after the development was done, they being in the business of just having cloud-based data storage storage offerings, were not interested in making storage servers. They had no interest in doing that whatsoever. So they took the design and they open sourced. They blogged it all over the internet and said, anybody's interested in making these things for us. Um, here's an opportunity. We'll buy some from you. Maybe you can go and sell them to somebody else too. And uh, and then they listed the you know who the suppliers would be, and they had protocase listed as the supplier of the enclosure. So we started to get some orders from various folks for enclosures for these things. Then all of a sudden, we started to get some calls from customers saying, uh, "Well, there's these two parts that have to come from you know wherever, and really hard to get, or they're only sell. They want to sell me 500 of them. I can't buy one." would you guys consider stocking those and then being selling those as part of your enclosures? So we took a look at that and said, well, why wouldn't we? Yeah, for sure. So we did that. And then we had some other folks start to say, well, we're not in the business of building computers. We don't want to do that. Uh, would you guys be interested in doing that? You know, building a forest under contract. And uh, anyway, we took a look at that and uh, after some, hard conversations. We said, well, maybe. I'm not sure building computers is something we really want to get into, but maybe we'll give it a shot. So we gave it a shot. And again, like I said, long story, but we'll we'll shorten it right up. So what we did, uh, we found that we had some success there in in being able to provide a device that was based on someone else's design. It was totally open source. It was fine. We had a great relationship with the company. We were actually providing them their enclosures. Uh, But then we started to realize there were some things in the designs of these data storage servers that we thought we could do better. And we said, maybe we want to turn this into a business. Maybe we want to put some engineering expertise into the electronic side as opposed to just being the enclosure side of things. So we took it upon ourselves to do that. And lo and behold, 45 drives. And the name 45 drives just comes from the very first unit we produced, which had 45 hard drives in it. (laughs) <laughs> wow. We now make we, we make sixty drive units. We make fifteen drive units. We're not going to change the name every time, uh. So the so the name stock the the software we use is open source software. So it's kind of a, a different ball game compared to you know the traditional companies you'd buy storage servers from. Uh, and we've made a name for ourselves and because we have such strong strong marketing presence in terms of engineering blogs, in terms of social media awareness, other electronic marketing means that we've really become recognized as the player open source data storage, large scale data storage, and very cost effective, fast data transfer data storage. And so we turned that into a business from an existing customer, and it represents 50% of our our revenue between the two businesses. So uh, really, really excited about that one. That one's done really well
0: for us. And I think we're still just
1: scratching the surface with that one. Uh, Yeah,
0: really excited about it. Well, it's, it's phenomenal. And I mean, even though you're, as you mentioned, you know, that your kind of eyes are looking towards not taking a step back, but not having to work as many hours, other people are kind of taking over. If another one of these incredible eureka moment ideas came to you, would you pursue that? I'd have a hard time saying no to it. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. And, and that said, like
1: 45 drives was, was a real success for us. Now, we've we've tried a few other ones, too, that didn't meet with the same degree of success. So, you know, we try to be strategic about where we go and what we do, but you're not going to get it right every time. I mean, I've had some other business things that I've tried pre protocase that met with varying degrees of success, more or less successful than others. But you know what you do? You pick yourself up. You dust yourself off. You learn
0: from your experiences. You learn from the things you do wrong. you do more of the things you do right. And hopefully sooner or later, you're going to get it right. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. I mean, I think that those defining moments for all of us, when we have these failures that we think are going to break us and then they don't, I feel like that is the secret for a lot of successes is having those failures and learning from them.
1: That's where the perseverance comes in, right? Mm. Absolutely. And uh, you can, if you could take the negatives and you can say, well, all I want to do from that is learn from that Mm. and make me better and make me less prone to make those mistakes in the future, then you're, you're well on your way
0: at that point in time. Totally. You mentioned the incredible kind of marketing approaches that you've had, which of course, I mean, you had this incredible marketing program in place, prior to COVID, whereby you were able to market globally, without needing to travel before travel was was eliminated. Um, Do you think that that approach that you have spearheaded and mastered over the last two decades is something that other companies will now be taking on?
1: Yeah, so I just did another little quick story. I take it way, way back to the beginning when it was me doing the, the selling. So you have to understand in the prototype world and the quantity, quantity one orders is what we do predominantly. Uh, you know, the value of an order is is relatively low. We're not doing hundred thousand dollar contracts here at a time. You know, we're we're on the much much lower end of that. Right. So you have to understand. When I started with this thing, so I having had some businesses that I had some associations with in Halifax, Dartmouth, Bedford, I got on the road and went down there and said, I got this idea. Do you think you'd be interested in buying from us? Well, these people were friends of mine and what have you. He said, sure, we'll give it a shot, right? So that was pretty Hmm. successful. I said, well, I'm going to go to Moncton because I know some companies in Moncton. So I got in the car and went to Moncton, same thing, same result. Well, this is starting to work out really well for us. And I said, okay, we got to go to the big city. We got to go to Toronto. So I got to go. So we started calling some companies that I didn't know, got some appointments, got on a plane, flew up there. And in general, I got two questions from most of those companies. It was, how long have you been in business? And who do I know that you've sold to? And you know, the answer was, well, three months and uh, uh, nobody. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it became very clear that to get enough return for your travel investment, Uh, Well, it just wasn't going to work. Right. We just weren't going to be able to go out for the sake of getting a couple of few thousand dollar orders, spending that much money on the plane to get there in the first place. that That method of selling with the dollar value per order that we were proposing, it just wasn't going to work. So we recognized early on. Well, the way you have to do this, you have to do this through some more mass appeal. Well, yeah, you can do magazines, you can do whatever. But no, the internet was really coming to its own. Google AdWords were just starting at the time. So we, we started to spend a fair amount of money on Google AdWords and various other electronic campaigns and recognized the need. We needed to bring in some talent from a marketing perspective, folks who understood electronic marketing. And we just became, forcibly experts at it on our own in fairly short order i mean i think if you i have been asked many times what do you consider yourself right and i say i really consider ourselves foremost an electronic marketing company that's really what we are at the end of the day yes we have a beautiful products or series of products that, that come up at the tail end but really about what we do and to get to where we can do that it all comes down to this ability to market as successfully
0: as we do That's incredible. I mean, is that something, I mean, how do you learn a skill like that? Because as as we talked about, I mean, there is a, it's a tricky thing, like none of us have marketing degrees and yet we have to let the world know what we do. How, how do you learn that, learn that craft? That's a great question.
1: I don't know the answer to that question. I'll tell you why I don't know the answer to that question (laughs) because I'm terrible at it. (laughs) I just recognized that we, sorry, we recognized that there was the need for it, that if this business was going to succeed, it wasn't going to succeed with traditional means, so we recognized the need, and we went shopping. Right, we went shopping, and we just we just talked, and we found some young, vibrant, energetic folks that had some ideas about how to do this stuff, and uh, and we just took it from there. And in some cases, you just have to grow organically, right? And that's how we did it. And I think now we we are able to attract people that have you know expertise in that area just because of who we are now and what we can be.
0: It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in, in awe of what you've achieved and I I knew it was an amazing story and t- talking to you this morning has just kind of actually made me even more um, of a fan of everything that you've done. Um, I appreciate I mean, I, that. Thank you. No, well, honestly, and thank you for... Uh, I guess, as I say, providing a world-class company that people can come to this beautiful part of the world and work at and the opportunities that affords, it's it's an amazing thing. I mean, I guess finally, I would just just love to ask, what would you say to someone who's never visited this part of the world before? And I guess, what advice would you give to someone that is looking for a change, looking for a better life and, and essentially looking to make the same move that you and I made? So,
1: great question. So we're traditionally struggling with an aging population here. What I've sensed mm-hmm. in the last two years is that's changing. Maybe the numbers aren't, aren't reflected, are reflecting that right now, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing a whole pile of young energy coming into this community three of my five kids are still here in the community. So I see some of the stuff that's going on with the young folks. And, you know, for instance, trivia night at the various, they're all over the place here now. And the kids just love it. They love going to these things. And I'm seeing young couples just engaged and, and enjoying themselves and doing things. And I think for this community now, there's this rising budding younger piece of our community that is so exciting. And we have lots of those young folks working here and they just, they love being here. And I think what I'd say to anybody is, you got to come and experience this. You've got to see it because it, it's pretty special. It's, it's yeah. pretty incredible. And I kind of mm-hmm. wish I was still in my 30s back then, in the early days, to, to enjoy it as much as I could. But, oh, well, it is what
0: it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and there's still plenty for us old folks to enjoy as well. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, Steve. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to meet you in person when we're allowed to travel again would would absolutely love to
1: yeah look thank you uh this has been wonderful for me i mean i don't think i reflect enough on on the past and 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 what's brought us to where we are so i I do appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation with you thanks very much
0: well thank you steve and i can't wait to visit everyone at protocase and come and see it all in person but um i hope you have a great day my friend and uh, hats off to you thanks open invitation to you anytime Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. This show is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. They are connecting entrepreneurs and companies to the resources they need to succeed on the amazing island of Cape Breton. Visit capebretonpartnership.com for more information on how you can improve your life and business by investing in Cape Breton Island. To learn more about Steve and Protocase and job opportunities there, as well as their student sponsorship program, go to protocase.com and be sure to follow them on Facebook. Further details can be found on the edit website, maritimeedit.com. and I will see you next time.
1: Podstarter.